Hey guys, welcome to VS Energy's Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with us today is Nick Taliska, Jim DePasquale, and Mark Sankey. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the training and development of new energy auditors. So um, I think a, you know, a great summarization of this is energy auditing requires obviously an extensive knowledge base, and it's not necessarily just a checklist. Um, you know, I guess we could get into the discussion about it, but I can imagine some firms or people show up on a site with a pretty basic checklist to run through to see, you know, where you're wasting energy, if you're wasting energy and what you can do. And that's, to me, not necessarily energy auditing. So to be a good energy auditor, this obviously takes a lot of training and development, field time, testing, practice, review, all that stuff. So we're going to kind of dive into what it takes, what is maybe some some of the better training that we've experienced or seen over the years, and maybe some of the, you don't need this so much to be a good energy auditor training. And the, 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 the process of energy auditing starts with obviously an individual in training, and that individual could potentially be fresh out of college, you know, just graduated, started with a firm, and he or she is on the track to become an energy auditor, or it could maybe be uh, an individual that has been in industry for a handful of years, many years, doing something energy related that now is kind of getting morphed into an energy auditor per se. So uh, obviously some different tracks that can be followed for the energy auditing process. Either way, we're we're starting. We're, we, you know, we have a goal of becoming. <laughs> a good energy auditor and yeah, we're going to just dive into some of the training required. So, you know, personal experience from my end, starting fresh out of college, actually started some energy auditing training, I guess, in college, you would say. And the company that I work for, VS Energy, our podcast, really gave a, a very structured, extensive training program that I think helped fast track this process. And, and I don't know, I guess you'd consider the end goal was passing the CEM certified energy manager exam. Is that always the case? Well, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit because uh, going back to the Association of Energy Engineers or ASHRAE, actually the Association of Energy Engineers offers a certified energy auditor or certification. And I'm looking right now uh, on their website and reviewing what they term the body of knowledge and it's basically first develop an energy strategy and plan be able to do utility analysis data collection and economic analysis lighting systems hvac motors drives ventilation systems domestic hot water systems building envelope water conservation that's pretty comprehensive but i think there is one significant uh, omission that really should be first and foremost in this which i think is safety during an energy audit um, energy auditors, first of all, for anybody aspiring to be an energy auditor, this is not a work from home position. Um, <laughs> it requires, basically, you have to be on the job site on a, on a facility site. And in most of the sites that we work in, there are large amounts of both stored energy, potential energy, and kinetic energy. There's compressed air, there's steam, uh, there are motive forces that oftentimes, especially new graduates, haven't experienced that level of kinetic en energy anywhere unless they're driving an automobile. Um, there are definitely potentials for serious injury or uh, worse while doing an energy audit. So, you know, in, in my mind, it's imperative that safety be emphasized and taught, as well as the need to uh, do an energy audit with the your full measure of attention, no distracted energy auditing. When I see an energy auditor walking around with their looking at their cell phone in a mechanical room, it gives me the willies. That is uh, that's not a good plan. So, I mean, energy auditing in its in its totality, very broad brush or very broad spectrum skill set, and the experience required to become an energy auditor or certified energy auditor is pretty significant. Even the, the lowest level of experience to take the exam and become certified is three years of experience. That's with a four-year engineering degree. So, uh, and if you have no educational background 
related to engineering or other, then it's 10 years of related experience before you can become certified. So it's, it's not a, uh, um, how do you want to say that? It, it requires significant experience and, and training or education to become certified. And energy audits basically are the foundation for large scale projects that may result in performance contracts and that energy audit where you construct the energy baseline is a foundational element for measurement and verification and the proof of performance for for a large-scale performance contract. So you're talking about energy audit uh, auditor, a certified energy auditor. What and maybe shame on me for not knowing this, but what's the like? What's the difference between a certified energy manager CEM and a certified energy auditor? Like, they're they seem very similar. I think they are very similar. Um, it, what and it, holds more um, I, value? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that it necessarily holds more value, but I know the level of detail. Systems knowledge is more uh, comprehensive for the CEM. If you, if you look at the body of knowledge required, there is not as uh, – there's actually nothing uh, in the CEA – Certified Energy Auditor requiring knowledge of codes and standards, which are required for the CEM. There's no code generation requirement. So the, hmm. the CEM is more comprehensive and more detailed, I think, uh, in general than the CEA. That's interesting. I think it's interesting too, Mark, that uh, like you said, the absence of safety, and I think that would go along with the, the codes and standards knowledge. I agree. Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's curious. Yeah, I don't remember anything on safety. I did not do the energy auditing. I don't know when that came out from AEE. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't. I never heard of it when I was looking into you know what is available necessarily on AE's website. Well, I I think especially Clayton, as we go further, you know, and the projects we get involved in are much more engineering oriented than actual auditing. We may do auditing on Correct. specific processes uh, yeah. you know, to get more familiarity or yep. detail on specific processes. But by and large, uh, somebody says, we need an energy audit and uh, can you do it free? Uh, that would be a no. <laughs> and we'll get <laughs> that's into That's been that. echoed many <laughs> times in this episode or in the series. <laughs> oh, yeah, you said uh, that's a famous quote by me. I got that. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> but, you know, free energy audits in, in my opinion are worth exactly what you pay for them so and that seems to be more of a checklist if i had to guess it is yeah but continue nick sorry we went off on that tangent when you were kind of going down your no i don't know what road was i going down <laughs> uh, i just i guess the safety the codes and standards that just was was interesting to me and i agree uh yeah I mean, my father's told me the most dangerous thing I'll ever do in my life is drive a car and completely agree with that. And number two, I would think would do some energy auditing, especially in my younger years where maybe I wasn't as aware of the things that could seriously hurt or maim you and you're poking around. I mean, it's interesting, you know, the whole concept of energy auditing. It's I can see why it's, it takes years to really develop this experience because it's I don't know. It's like being trained. I, I go back to crime scenes all the time because I think they're analogous because sometimes facilities look like a crime scene when you go <laughs> to rooms. But, you know, you can be trained on here's how to investigate a murder. But as we all know, there's probably a lot of ways to make a murder. So, you know, you just need to have that framework. And I, like nothing replaces the value of the, the mentoring that you would have from a from a good auditor that's been through you know, the process or has seen a lot of these and passing on some of the things they know. I mean, that is really, you can spend a day with a, an experienced auditor and come away with 10 years of experience. I don't know about that. Well, then strike that out of the podcast. Mark. No, no, I think, you no, know, no, I mean, one I said, day is a lot of time to pass on 10 years worth of experience. <laughs> is it one day? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think I, I think that's hyperbolic at times. Uh, <laughs> that it is huge having a, a mentor to go through on site. I mean, you can learn, you know, you can study in the books and and do all your homework and answer your practice problems and so on and so forth. And then when you end up on site, 
uh, you know, it's different. And I think having a, a mentor going through with you to point out some things or work through some problems, uh, definitely extremely valuable. And I, I can imagine that doesn't happen quite often or not. I don't want to say quite often, but um, probably doesn't happen all the time, right? Well, I think that's a good point. So, you know, you're, you know, going back to the outline, energy auditing is not really just a checklist um, unless it's a very cursory audit. How many motors are the high efficiency? What kind of lights can they be replaced? What kind of windows? You know, those are very, very basic and don't really take into a, uh, account many things that should be taken into account. So as far as being an auditor, you have to be creative, you have to be flexible, you have to be well-versed in what options are available in terms of energy efficiency improvements for whatever type facilities you're going into, be they residential, commercial, industrial, it really doesn't matter. But from a perspective of, especially being a small business, having a focus on uh, hiring is always expensive. Firing is worse because you're, you're basically taking an investment and saying I, I made a bad investment. But from the perspective of a, a small business, especially in one in the energy auditing business, the emphasis is on making the investment as valuable as possible in as short a period of time. So if I have the option to say, okay, I can let somebody wander around aimlessly, read, read a bunch of books without necessarily a lot of guidance, that's a, that's a, a bad investment, right? You just uh, took your investment and said, well, well, I'll put it in the bank at, you know, one and a quarter percent, or do I want to basically tend to that investment and make sure that it grows at the rate that I expect it to grow by adding a little bit of additional time, energy, effort, and focus and be able to really, you know, build something worthwhile. And to, to be able to do that, you have to start the process with the objective in mind. It's not accidental. Right. What do you think, Jim? Like, where did you kind of get your energy basis from? I mean, I know, um, like, you, my college experience wasn't too geared towards, you know, in mechanical engineering, um, energy per se or anything with that has to do with energy audit or energy efficiency to that matter you know you, so you kind of learn that outside of school did you do a lot of self-taught kind of um well yeah i mean kind of going along what we've been discussing is this is not something that you could just jump right into and expect to be an authority on right out right out of school right yeah. Um, it, it takes a lot of time because you have to have a deep understanding of a lot of different equipment types and system types to know when like a substitution or a, a certain type, a certain approach may make sense and be beneficial. Right. I, I just don't know of any university program that could, you know, they could prepare you for that, put you on the right path, give you the foundation. But right. I don't, I don't right. think yep. there's any substitute for the experience of um, just putting in the time, having patience and, and learning along the way, hopefully under a mentor. So for me, that was the big thing, just experience working under people that have, have been there and just getting on site is a big thing. You know, mm -hmm. like Mark said, this isn't a, a, a remote job or a desk job. Um, some of my best experience was when I had the opportunity to be do on-site energy management for long stretches of time, mm -hmm. you know, and seeing being walking plants every day with uh, skilled operators and engineers, learning all the various systems um, and, and seeing how everything actually works um, as opposed to, you know, for me, I'm, I'm more of a design background. So right. a lot of times you get stuck behind the computer screen and, you know, mm -hmm. just turning out designs. But when you're, actually there and seeing the end result and having the opportunity to walk sites and um, discuss, you know, energy conservation measures and kind of bring it all together. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of time to be able to accumulate all that, that experience. And, uh, you know, if I had to, 
I don't know, Mark, what would you say? <laughs> What's the magic number you think? I know, you know, everyone's mileage may vary, but you have a number in mind of, you know, how much time that could possibly take to get to that level. Well, it depends, you know, uh, I mean, it's a lot like, um, physical training. If you get to spend, you know, six hours a day in a gym versus one hour a day, once a week, the results are different. It depends how hard you work at it. So I look at it as particularly in year one, maybe year one and two, the emphasis is to spend a couple hours a day, at least purely on the development process and say, uh, here's the, and I do, I have a syllabus, I have milestones, and here's what we need to accomplish in month one through three. Here's what month three through six look like. At the end of year one, you should be able to at least be able to do a practice exam from the CEM. And at the end of 18 months, you should be able to sit for that exam. And our, you know, our training program basically starts with the very fundamentals. So what are the fundamentals of energy? We want to look at utility analysis. We want to look at the psychometric chart, the steam tables, understand pumping systems. And for each part of those components, try and cement those or galvanize them or, or have them stuck in memory by corresponding or correlated trips to the field to say, here's what's actually happening in the field in a cooling coil and in, yeah. in a steam boiler so that, you know, you can look at a steam boiler and say, these are the components. This is how it's working. Here's how it's controlled. And then, you know, by the end of year one, you're not only looking at systems in totality, but also engaged with how are these systems that are performing this operation, how are they controlled? And then what are the different control control strategies and how do they affect energy conservation? So that by the end of a couple of years, you have a pretty well, well-rounded knowledge of the basics, knowledge of the systems, knowledge of the controls, and also knowledge of the energy impact. And you've been to the field to kind of glue all that together and say, I've seen it. Now that's a lot of time effort, time investment, but it puts, you know, folks that typically, and I worked for a big company right when I started out of school and literally, um, and Clayton has seen it and Nick's seen it. You got a binder and said, okay, you have six months to, you know, take your time, read the binder, do the problems. Well, a big company can afford to say, we'll leave you alone for six months and you do this. Well, that is not necessarily an effective way to, or not effective way for me to learn. You know, it's, it's much more effective to be able to say, show me what this looks like in the field and maybe I'll take the book with me or maybe I'll take some notes and then go back and say, oh, I saw that. Now I understand it. Um, and I think those, you know, the field trips or the field experience are what really uh, in general is lacking in terms of moving the uh, training and education process for energy auditors forward at an accelerated rate versus okay, I give somebody a checklist, go out and count the lights. That does not make a, a in my mind, a well-rounded and complete energy auditor. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I think frequency of trips to the field is also important, right? Like if you got that book handed to you and you said you had six months, look it over, and then you go out to the field and you might have all these ideas and all these questions and, you know, one trip is not going to... Oh. You know, but like if you if throughout that whole process, maybe you're looking at uh, like a steam system and steam traps and you want to go out there and take a look. There's so many different devices and equipment. I just don't see how you could do that in just one or two trips. It's, you know, just taking your example of like a six month uh, stretch of um, training and learning out of a book. I would hope that during that process, you've had several opportunities to go out into the field and, and kind of see a lot of uh a lot of these systems in the real world. Well, and I think the most benefit, well, I don't want to say the most beneficial, but I found it extremely beneficial where you, you spend your time in the book and you do your best to learn it and fully understand it and you answer the practice problems. And then you go out in the field and it organically clicks. Like you don't even know you're looking at something you already study and understand maybe. And then it just clicks like, oh, huh, 
this is that. I'll be damned. And then, you know what I mean? Sometimes doesn't look, doesn't look anything like a rectangle. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thought it was, yeah, you know, and, and I think those are some of the best learning experiences that really stick with you. And obviously when you make mistakes and you learn from those, but, um, you know, just when you're out in the field and you're looking at something or you, you stumble across something, you're like, damn, I learned about yeah. that. I read about that. There That's it is. Pipe. Yeah. <laughs> that thing's hot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's my little, you know, that's what I found to be extremely valuable. I think you're totally right, Clayton. And I think what makes it interesting too is that it's not just about energy auditing, uh, 21st century building controllers. You know, you're, you, you go into facilities and you can see stuff that's been there for 60 years, you know, or that could have been the pinnacle of design. 40 years ago, maybe. And, you know, you just, unless you get out to a lot of different buildings, I mean, you could spend 10 years doing K through 12 and you'd be really good at K through 12 auditing, but you go to an industrial plant and you'd probably be lost. That's a good point, Nick. So I, I think the more, the more diverse exposure you get to, uh, definitely helps. I mean, there hasn't been, I can't think of any times where I've been in a hospital and said, Oh, that's an interesting, okay, this is how a, a de-aerator system works. That's only for hospitals. You know, you take that knowledge, and then when you see something in a different building, you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. They would have that here too. Mm-hmm. But then there's things that you won't see in other facilities that you would have no idea. And I think that's when I think back into some of my more dangerous times uh, where my ignorance may have you know, gotten me into trouble was probably in some of these industrial sites. And again, you know, again, I don't, Mark says he's old all the time. I don't say that, but we do have a lot of experience. But I remember times when, you know, you'd go home with keys to a school for the night. If you were there for a week, they just gave you a set of keys, right? I mean, a lot a lot has changed. So, you know, and, and more free reign in facilities than I imagine you get nowadays. And so you'd be poking around, you know, you were an expert. And if they couldn't be with you all the time or... They spend a couple days, you know, they turn you loose sometimes. And that's when you can get in some real trouble if you're poking around and you're curious. Yeah. Mind, better of you. I could so imagine. I fully support. I really think there should be a move by AEE. And I think it's frankly quite ir- irresponsible to not have safety as a core in any of these field and site related uh, practices. I was going to say maybe at a minimum, like an OSHA 10 type of training absolutely i mean osha 10 um just what's the proper attire to wear yeah. for, uh, to an energy audit i can't i mean i've been on many many site walkthroughs you know especially at industrial plants and and you know fortunately i had a, i had mentors that you know took me to my first industrial plants and said here's the deal Make sure you have your hard hat. Make sure you have your glasses. At least have them in the car. Wear steel-toed boots and long sleeve shirts. Just out of the rule. Because if you don't and you show up in a suit and tie, you get the clip-on steel toe, yeah. on safety toes. So you, they hear you coming, clop, clop, clop. You get the brand-new hard hat and you get the geek goggles that you know are held on by the elastic band and you stick out like a sore thumb in that plant. You know, the bottom line is if, if you look like you belong there you're much more uh people are much more uh open and honest with you than if you're someone that shows up in a suit in the you know in the aluminum forge and uh you know with your clop clop safety toes (laughs) they're much more reserved in terms of the level and detail of information they'll provide for you and part of the thing you need to understand as an energy auditor there is plenty of information that you will not get from any place except the operator. Yep. Yeah. The first, you know, I just kick my hard head around in the parking lot for a couple of minutes before I go on site just to, you know, scratch it up, get a little dirty, fit Take right the stickers in. Stickers off it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Skid it around a little bit, fit right in. Oh, that'll be good then. No, but Mark, your your point there should should not be lost at all. I mean, that's you know, in my list, you gotta have a good mentor to kind of get you in the right direction. But if you're not listening to the people out there and at the facilities, I mean, sometimes they're the biggest source of misinformation. But most times, 
they're just full of so much uh, information about these systems. They may have been there when it was designed. They can tell you why it was put in there. Yeah. They can explain what that weird pipe is that you don't understand. Yep. So, yeah, if you go in there thinking, you know, you've seen a lot of these facilities and you probably know more than they do, uh, you'll you'll quickly be disabused of that notion, I think. Yeah, and I guess, yep, and I while agree. we're talking about the facility operators and safety, um, I'd Luckily, I, I would think that most, especially the industrial facilities, will provide their own type of safety training before they would let anyone on site. Um, I know it's not something, you know, it's still like to see some sort of training at AEE, but hopefully at a minimum, you're going to get some sort of brief safety training, at least specific to the site you'll be visiting. I know in my experience, you know, it's required at almost all the industrial plants I go to. Uh, to get at least a brief overview of the plant, their operations, and what to look out for. You know, that's interesting, Jim, because thinking back, any type of what, orient, safety orientation I've had has been at an industrial plant. You know, but I mean, sometimes hospitals have really dangerous stuff, yep. too. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's interesting just how there is not that mindset. Schools, too. You know, the same thing. A facility person shouldn't let a guy into their mechanical room wearing a tie, you know? Yeah. Yep. We just here's a quick aside. We did a project years ago on a site that used HF, which is hydrofluoric acid, uh, in their process to leach uh, a specific metal ore out of the. It would eat away all the rest of the waste and leave this metal compound, metal um, actually element behind. And the interesting thing about HF is that it will pass through your skin and basically attack your bone. So it, it, it is transdermal, but if you come in contact with it, it will pass through your skin tissue, muscle tissue, go right to the, to take the calcium out of your bone and basically remove it. So, you know, they said, if you get any on your skin, don't try and wash it off. I mean, you can try and wash it off, but don't not try and do anything. Oh, it'll be all right. It does, it's not painful because the the uh, HF symptom of uh, erosion of the bone may not appear for up to 24 hours. So you oh, may wake God. up tomorrow morning and uh, why is my arm all floppy like this? Well, oh, man. It's because uh, part of the bone has been eaten away. And, you know, when you go to industrial facilities and, you know, I did a lot of work in the nineties up in the Niagara Falls area with many of the chemical producers up there. And, you know, the level of chemical hazard stored energy, both in, you know, compressed air, you know, 5,000 gallon compressed air storage tanks or, you know, high pressure steam, you just have to be careful and depend on the plant to advise you. Here's what you'll encounter that may be dangerous you know, all the way up to including if, if you hear the horn blow, look outside at which direction the wind is blowing and run away from the, <laughs> the, you know, the, the direction yeah. the wind's blowing. I mean, yeah. it, it can be that significant. I think the chemicals are a big one for me that, you know, I don't know a whole lot about, like, like you said, just with that acid, like I have no prior experience, no prior training about any of this stuff. So yeah. You definitely need to be informed about some of those things. I think those are huge. We we got to shift gears a little bit. I know we maybe this will just be the safety and energy auditing podcast, um, but try to you know shift it back into the training and certifications, anything like that required. If we you know. If, I don't know what else we want to talk about with that. I know I was going to bring up. Well, I think I think let's take a take a step back and talk about the energy auditing process. So, you know, as an energy auditor, many times you'll be working independently. You won't have a team. You'll you'll get an assignment, and it may be a hundred miles or five hundred miles from home. So, how do you prepare for that? So. To me, this is a you know it's important, especially as you uh, gain experience and you're you know you're working autonomously that you become accustomed to being prepared. And you know, first of all, we're going to go through our training and we'll get all of the mentoring, etc. But even more importantly, you need to get prepared so you can be productive on the site. And that means I don't get to the site and say, "Oh, I left my 
tablet. I left my VOM. I left my whatever in my other vehicle or on the kitchen table, or I left my thermos at home or whatever, because, you know, you, you just need to think forward in the process and be able to, um, you know, imagine what might I encounter and prepare yourself accordingly and, you know, go through your toolkit or your box or however it is you, you, uh, um, plan to, you know, what you plan to audit and make sure you're prepared. So all that said, you know, what am I saying? An energy audit is not, I mean, yeah, there is such a thing as a level one audit, which is what I call the wet thumb audit. You walk through, lick your thumb and say, yeah, it looks like about this very few measurements. Um, but I think we're talking about audits that will be, uh, typically what we call level three or investment grade audits, where these are detailed audits, where we're taking measurements. We may be even taking uh, long-term measurements using data logging equipment of some kind. So you have to be prepared and you have to basically as an auditor going to an audit with an open mind, don't have any preconceived notions. Oh, I've been in a thousand schools. I know that I'll see blah, blah, blah. Sure. You'll see some of that. Mm-hmm. Odds are, if you keep an open mind, your head in a swivel, you'll see things that you haven't seen before. Um, you know, operators are creative, um, building operations staff, people are creative. So, um, you know, we were at a project over in Ohio and, we saw, what is this? It looks like somebody removed the uh, filter door and they put a piece of ductwork on it. And the operator said, yeah, this used to be in a hundred percent outside air unit. We couldn't get enough air through it. So we put a return air, <laughs> we put a return air section on the unit. <laughs> and okay, yeah. uh, that's what they did, right or wrong. And, uh, you know, it achieved the uh, objective of getting more air through the unit maybe not all that was filtered because uh, uh, certainly a large amount of it was bypassing the filter, but you, you know, they achieved the objective. You'll always see something new. So you have to go into it with a, with an open mind, be prepared, you know, be prepared to be surprised. I just like to be prepared, like on a tools perspective too, or yeah, everything. I mean, that, that cannot be uh, reiterated enough. I think, um, you know, I know a guy that makes, spreadsheets and <laughs> fills them out for everything that he needs. And you think, Oh, that's a little overdoing it. And then you forget something and you're like, eh, probably could have caught that on a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cause you know, not everything's just around the corner. So you travel a couple hours to a site and you forget something silly that something silly becomes a showstopper for your operation right. for that, you know? So yeah. Okay, that's so it. that's also job number one of the trainer then, right? When when you're talking about, I mean, because some of this stuff has to be taught to people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, definitely, yeah. definitely. Absolutely, Nick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess come, you know, out of college or new to the industry, you may not fully understand the ramifications of forgetting a magnahelic or a voltmeter or a screwdriver. I mean, you could be... You know, how many times have you had five guys standing around a panel and someone's like, yeah, anybody got a screwdriver? No. You know? Well, I mean, my most important tool nowadays is my reading glasses. I yeah. can't do anything without Not those. So that, yeah. You go for a ride in my truck with me or in my car or you stop in my house, Mark, why are there 27 pairs of reading glasses around? So I, and I don't, you know, they're the $2 uh, general reading glasses, but so I can always at least find my way to identify and locate the tool that I need to use. Mark, I would have laughed at you a year ago, but I'm shaking my head up and down like, yeah, my collection is growing too of <laughs> <laughs> reading glasses. The best tools that I own are my reading safety glasses, bifocal readers that are safety glasses. Those are great. Well, if I can add on to Mark's point a second ago about just, you know, the teaching, you know, your your energy auditors to be prepared uh, and to show up on time. You know, a lot of that is, you know, it's self-evident, but then there's that softer side of it, like Mark was talking about with don't show up right after your trip to Lowe's to get your hard hat and your new boots, right? If you show up late, it sends a message to the people you're there to serve. Yep. 
don't look like you belong there. You have no idea what you even expected to get into that day. You know, that's going to have a ramification too. So yeah. some of these things are very concrete, obviously show up on time, be prepared. But a lot of these things have, I guess, uh, different benefits too, too. Agreed. So one thing that is important too is on the energy audits, I mean, is be respectful of, of companies and their proprietary technology. Don't assume you can take pictures ever. Um, you know, if they're in a lot of facilities, there's even, you know, a permission slip for pictures and those kinds of things. I think I'm a little off in the weeds here, Clayton, you better reel us back in. So, so to kind of wrap the, the conversation to, you know, step the conversation back as a young energy auditor. If you're listening to this, you, you know, we've um, really emphasized the points of safety and preparedness and awareness on site. Um, but with all of that, you still need to have some formal training, right? Obviously. And we covered that sort of in the beginning of the podcast episode. Um, you know, one of the first pieces of training material I received was the HVAC basics the, i call it the binder um <laughs> what who made that mark i guess if i maybe well, i should know but where'd that come it. from you know that was a, a a great first step in the training process right that covered that was a good blanket of everything in the hvac world that really gave you a good foundation to work off of yeah so th that you know, I have plagiarized that from uh, Johnson Controls from back in 1980 and then supplemented it with, I don't know, hundreds of problems of the, that I've generated uh, over the years as technology has changed, um, as, you know, we've got, I mean, th there's a whole chapter in that book about uh, pneumatic control systems and yeah. uh, pilot orifices and uh Calculating relays uh, and calculating, yeah, yeah exactly. All, which are no longer. I mean, they're they're cool to me because I can go back and look at those, and you know, all that is you know falls in the same category as uh, setting up a Holly four barrel carburetor, which is great, but you know you don't buy cars with those on them anymore. So, you know, th that book has evolved over thirty years to basically be the foundational element for training new auditors, engineers, uh, you know, in the competitive market, I think there's only a few things that um, set apart uh, engineers or people in our business. And that is, you know, mastery of your uh, trade. So the more that you can learn, the more, you know, you can, if you have to, you know, you get into a situation and people ask us all the time, are you going to respond to this RFP? No, I don't do that. Um, it, it's just one of those things where if, if you need to send out an RFP and I, I tell people pretty often, I think there's probably, you know, on the East coast, 25 guys that I think have this a skill set as broad and deep as I do. And I can name most of them, you know, pretty handily and know most of them, but to really be at the at the top of your game, you have to be able to know the basics and then be able to build on that all the way up to very complex mechanical systems. So I don't know. I, I, that that book is the best that I can produce right now in terms of a training syllabus. But you know, going back to your question, Clayton, is if you get out of school and you want to be an energy auditor or energy engineer. Um, I think it's important to have confidence, but it's also important to be inquisitive and open-minded. And if I were interviewing for a job with a company uh, right now, okay, what do my first, what does my first year in the job look like? Okay. In addition to your, you know, normal, you may have some design responsibility, you know, with oversight and those kind of things, but your training, uh, and continuing education program looks like this and be able to set out as an employer, be able to set out for a new hire. Here's what I'll expect in the first three months. Here's what I expect in the first six months. Here's the syllabus. Here's what it looks like. And here's what we, we will do together. Um, and I, th I think that's important. That's the responsibility of an employer. I mean, you don't want to be a lousy first employer to someone right out of school. 
Yeah. And uh, anybody listening, we did do a really great podcast episode about just education in general on both sides in the uh, collegiate world and out of school in our BMS podcast. So if you want to hear more about that kind of discussion, tune into that. Um, but yeah, Mark, I, I agree. And I don't know, I, I don't want to make this sound like, mm, uh, I don't know what the right word is, you know, blasphemous or um, ignorant maybe in a way. But like I have found the diverse mix of practice problems and in the field and, you know, just, I mean, you know, they'd kind of randomly end up on my desk, if you would say, of a figure this one out, right? Um, And I think that's really valuable because, and I'm not, I I guess I can edit all of this out if you guys think I shouldn't say this, but like CEM, for instance, right? Um, You could pass that test with having no no in-depth knowledge about any of the stuff you're getting tested on, right? I mean, you could almost say that for any exam. It's just, it's there's a format for the type of question that you need to follow, plug and chug. You know, you're just regurgitating information uh, in a way. I mean, I'm, obviously this is all extremely valuable, but like the, the diverse, all I'm trying to say is the diverse amount of training and, you know, make you think on your feet kind of practice problems are, are I think, what are the most beneficial, you know, as a young learning energy auditor or continuing one. I mean, you know, I don't know when the last time it's been a while since I've got a kind of a gotcha problem to work on um, as opposed to a, you know, here's this set of whatever information, you know, you have ABC, find D. Yeah, I could do that all day because it's the same, no matter what the numbers are, it's the same path, right? So I don't know. I don't want to like get in the well, weeds on that. I, I, but. I wouldn't say that. I mean, not that I'm disagreeing with you, but look at the the diversity of problems that we face just on a weekly basis. Just look what we did this week. Oh, we can't cool these areas. Why? Well, here's no. What's I agree completely with that. And those are the ones that are valuable. It's not. Right. It's not the textbook practice problems because no. you can just you can learn the process and not have any in depth knowledge about it. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. I just, I need to use um, 500 GPM Delta T. I could know nothing about any of the system, anything to figure, you know, answer this question. And that's not where the value in learning and becoming an independent, um, valuable energy auditor comes from. <laughs> you saying here, Clayton, that the AEE certification programs are really not all they're cracked up to be? Well, I think, I think they do a great job of, Draw, like drawing a line it's not you because it takes a lot of time to get to that point to be able to re, regurgitate that information as well um i could say the same thing about the you know fundamentals of engineering exam uh you don't need to know anything about anything you just need to know if i'm given this set of values i need to you know i have abc i need to find d <laughs> i hope i didn't offend anybody well so nick i think what you know the the uh, CEM or any of the AEE certifications are very similar to having a driver's license. Just because you have a driver's there, license, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, driver. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. I was just trying to pull it out of Clayton. It seems like he was dancing around it. I, I was dancing around a little bit. I guess I don't know. You know who are who's listening? I, don't I mean, I know, I know many many CEMs. <laughs> and that leave me shaking my head. And then there are many, many CEMs that are, you know, practitioners and instructors and things like that, that, Hey, they're masters of their craft. They're not, you know, Hey, I got the certification because it would give me a, a raise. That's, you know, it's just like anything else. Um, you know, the certification is the, the baseline. Yeah. And where you go beyond that is all, you know, up to you as an individual and a professional. Yeah. Like you need your driver's license to become a good driver, obviously. So you have to pass your driver's test, but just because you can pass your driver's test doesn't mean you're a good driver. Yeah. That's a great analogy. That's well put. Are there any other uh, recognized agencies offering any types of certification in energy auditing or? Mm, That's a great question that I don't know the answer to. I know some of these state energy offices and Wisconsin comes to mind as maybe there was a lot of material that was always referenced, but I didn't know if different 
even colleges had some kind of courses you could take. It seems like a monopoly AEE has on pretty much any certification energy related. uh, ASHRAE ASHRAE has the building energy assessment professional, which is basically the energy auditor um, certification. So yeah, there are sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would think Ashra would have a very robust pro, uh, program. Right, right. I think you just got to ask, like, what, what is the most, like, what is the top tier of all of these? You know what I mean? Like, you could probably take a boatload of different. Uh, I don't want to say smaller, but like maybe less requirements to take or pass for certain certifications, and depending on the industry you're in, like maybe. Again, I'm going to go back to the CEM, but maybe that's the that is the top one, right? You could have eight other ones, but if you have your CEM, that trumps well, I, all of I, it. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I got, I'm not. I'm going to withhold the comment. <laughs> but it's interesting because uh, yeah, you know, look at the. Uh, so I'm looking right now at the eligibility requirement for becoming a certified energy auditor mm-hmm. okay you have to be a cem with three years of related experience okay so maybe a certified energy auditor yeah then is is above a cem and uh but it's different it's there's different. no question yeah. it's different i mean i think you know if you look at i i can look at myself and say that most cems don't go out in the field and Right. Spend as much time in the field or specifically connected to analysis of processes or systems as I do. There are many, many CEMs that are really focused on the larger energy management, overarching energy management strategies. Uh, they spend all, uh, the majority of their time, hey, you know, this university, this business needs to develop a five-year energy plan. We do that as well, but at a, as a smaller percentage of our total business than many of you know those kinds of individuals or organizations yeah yeah i guess i would i I agree with that completely so i didn't want to drag us into the weeds either getting into more of this part of it but i just figured for listeners you know uh those are kind of my thoughts on it It, you you can master the questions but you really gotta you gotta have a full understanding of what you're answering or solving for and uh that takes some field experience like jim said you know you got to learn out you got to be on site and go through the problems and have that aha moment and say this is why you know this is it all just comes together parts and pieces slowly come together but um it's definitely more comprehensive than just being able to answer questions well i think that's the key here clayton and so much of what you guys talk about too you guys say it all the time the boots on the ground yeah and it's you know, you could you could just say it's just being present. You know, you're, yes. you're not, yeah, yeah. not in a facility when you're looking at pages on a paper with yep. example problems and rectangles and squares and arrows and mm-hmm. notes that say ignore all losses. Yes. That's not really <laughs> being present you yeah. know, in that situation. So yep. and then when you're there it's you know, being uber aware and present and, and taking everything in, especially when you're, you know, a new energy auditor and what a valuable set of skills it is to have i mean i really mm-hmm. don't know how i would do i don't do much energy auditing myself these days but i can't imagine doing what i do and being able to talk with people without having knowledge and i may not have seen the latest thing that come out in the last five years out in the field or something but you know there's still a lot of knowledge from being out there and uh yeah, I probably did spend a disproportionate amount of my time early on in facilities and traveling to and fro, sleeping in parking lots. <laughs> Another safety issue that should be addressed. Don't sleep in parking lots, children. <laughs> Nick, that's funny when you say, you know, a lot of the books when you're learning um, in academia will say like, ignore all losses or the concept. They're one-dimensional you know, the con- and we live in a three-dimensional world, yeah. You know, the concept of... Uh, you know, making assumptions and, you know, trying to make the problems more simple and, and direct. Well, a lot of those assumptions and 
um, things they tell you to ignore are where a lot of the opportunity is when you get in the real world. You know, they might say, uh, if I try to make a simple analogy, you know, maybe a problem in a book will say like ignore heat loss from pipes. You know, we're trying to focus on the actual thermodynamic system. When you get into the real world, you might notice, you know, pipe insulation is a huge deal. Um, all these little things that they may tell you to ignore, all of a sudden add up to be a, a you know, a big source of, uh, you know, potential energy conservation. Um, I don't know if that's a good example or not, but that's, I think that's a great example. Yeah. So key yeah. that I think it's, it's lost a lot of times where you go from the books to the field and it's, you know, it's a different reality. And like you said, I mean, I make a living off of losses, you know, and yeah, I, yeah. Like I, said, I can't imagine most of us, you know, we're, we're dealing with some kind of thing. That's what we're talking about here is, you know, getting things running at their optimum level and most efficient, but uh, there does seem to be that huge dis disconnect. I mean, well, I even, told that story before, first time I was in a chiller plant and somebody asked me, you know, what is that? And I struggled. And he's, then I finally said, chiller. And he says, it took you that long? I said, it was a, well, I'll tell you, I said, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It was a black box. Yeah. It, it was a dotted line. It was a rectangle. Yep. The only reason it was a chiller right now is because there's a label that you got. Hey, that's, I, it's extremely true, though, Nick. I, yeah. There and, is that gap, which I think a lot of people, you know, and I think that's why maybe you see a new auditor shows up, you know, on site and he looks great. You know, looks like he's really ready to do a walkthrough, not necessarily a crawl through, not on your belly, not hanging on <laughs> the ladder. Not going through cobwebs because they don't know that there's you know there's the book and then there's reality and they're both critical but yep. then there's that magical moment you were talking about Clayton where they click and they go these yep. aren't two separate worlds they very much belong together I just got to make sense of it now yep yep right and the, and we forgot to go back to they need to have their handkerchief <laughs> most important tool. And if you ever go out with Mark on a job site, don't ever wear a fanny pack. <laughs> They're so out of style that even Mark knows. I don't know, Nick. You know, now that you say that, man, a fanny pack might be like one of the most like great. Yeah, it's right. right there. You know, you don't have to take your backpack off and sift through that. It's just can you even right buy there? those anymore? Yeah. I oh. actually, I use a fanny pack. This is completely off topic, but when I go on runs, I put my phone in it and I run with my fanny pack, yeah, so. Brilliant, yeah. see? No, I remember, I thought I was decked out. I thought there would be like, oh, that's cool, Nick. Very slick. <laughs> we got out of this car. Marco's first thing, take off the fanny pack. I'm like, all oh, my stuff's in there. Yeah. Put your stuff oh, in your pockets. Wow. You could put, you know, a couple, a screwdriver, a little tweaker, a small meter, uh, you know, all these little things you can oh, fit in your fanny pack. Leatherman in there. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you guys just save these stories for my wake? <laughs> <laughs> Man, Nick, I feel bad because that's, I, you know, now that you're bringing up the fanny pack, I don't know, Mark, next job site we show up on. Knock yourself out. It's, uh, it's 2020. Everything's acceptable. So Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't that know. Is... There was a point to the fanny pack. <laughs> but <laughs> No, it was just a natural follow-on after the chiller. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do we guys think? Does, do you think? I think people tuning in, they learned something in this episode, I would say. I hope they did. And if they, I think one of the keys I don't think we stressed upon was really the successful, I think most of the successful energy auditors we probably all know had a great deal of uh, self-application, right? I know we all were given material when we started. Yep. And some of us, you know, I, I know people that, you know, were in this industry and they kind of said the same thing like, wow, there's a... It's like going to college again. You know, I just got out of college and now I got to read these books and everything and, and HVAC basics, you know, like something like that. And, uh, but you so self application and people need to go after it. And there's a lot of information out there and it's not always just handed it, you know, handed to you. But, 
you know, if you're out there and you're in a mechanical room with somebody that's got some experience, just ask them the questions. I mean, generally people are very willing to teach other people what they know, but you know, people can be also be shy and they don't want to just offer stuff if they think it's to a, you know, an unwilling ear. But if you're willing to learn, there's a wealth of knowledge out there still practicing too. So yeah, that's a that's a great point too. Definitely don't be afraid to ask what, why. I mean, some questions, yeah, are probably dumb questions. I've probably asked plenty of dumb questions in my life, and I'll probably still ask dumb questions moving forward. But um, there's a lot of questions that, yeah, you may you may think it's a dumb question, and it's a great question, and you get a great explanation, and then you you understand whatever you didn't know. So. Well, I'll say this too. You know what? It may be a dumb question, but it's going to stay a dumb question forever unless you ask it. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, yeah. and there's plenty of those questions out there. So yeah. And, and it, I think Mark mentioned it in one of our podcasts as well. You know, it, there's a little. I I have a little bit more leeway to ask a dumb question, being a young, you know, energy auditor, uh, than going through your whole life and then you know, you're you're more time in the industry and it may be less acceptable to ask the dumb question. So it's a real good point as a young individual in the field. Don't be afraid to ask because, uh, most people will happily give you an answer, even if it's a dumb question. Right. (laughs) I think we covered about, I would say everything we needed to cover. Um, any closing points, statements from you guys, thoughts, Uh, I'll tell you what, one, one little tangential story on my end is I remember, Mark, you know, he would give me all these little practice problems and I'd do pretty well on them. At least I I would think um, maybe he, he could say otherwise. But, you know, then came the judgment day where I took his three-hour exam. I don't know how many questions I had in it. Uh, at least 100. I don't know, 100. I can scroll through it now. 103. 103 questions. Bonus, bonus questions in there. Yeah, and um, I, you know, you go through all the practice, and he pre- obviously when you, he, he obviously prepared me extremely well. So this is, this is a compliment to Mark's teaching abilities. But um, Jeez. you know, you go through, and I take it, and I'm nervous, and I'm going through and going through, and then I get my my uh, re- results back, if you want to call that. We scored it, and I got a 95. I don't know, 94 right. on it. And I was like, "That's it. I made it." I'm done. This is easy. This industry is cake. I can it, marks. I can pass Mark's test with a 94. Right. There's nothing I can't 95. do. 95, 95 a second ago. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to over talk it too much because I can't okay. remember. But I, I might have even been a 96. Just throwing that out there. But um, you know, I was like, "This is it. I've done. We're done. I'm, I'm the master of my trade." And yeah, there's a lot to freaking learn in, in the world. So. That's why that's why I made the point of you can learn how to answer problems, but that's that's just a, such a small part of it. So, so so in reality, Clayton, I mean, I agree with you, and it would take you know without a lot of training, most it would take a long time for people to be able to pass that test. But yeah. I look at it as the whole other way is okay now as a. a um, you know, I can basically take the training wheels off. You're good right. to go. Right. Yeah. But it's but it's just like you now you got your driver's license. It doesn't mean exactly you know, you're ready to go out. And yeah. The, you know, and yep. But it, truly, you know, focusing on development is a big deal, um, and especially for individuals right out of school. And I think many employers miss that opportunity because you have a, a a group of people that are used to application and serious study and hard work and if you let that languish if you let that habit languish it's very hard to reinstill it and re re-energize it five years later yeah you know yep. um, you might as well just take advantage of it and say here's our opportunity to help Really grow these people. Not you know when you when you get out of college, you're a you know a seedling or you know a two year old tree. And now we can say, okay, we want to put it in fertile soil. We want to make sure that it's growing the right direction, and really um, expand and and galvanize what 
they learned in school and show them how it applies to the real world. I liked it a lot. Take your FE when you're right out of school. If right. you can't take it in college. <laughs> Cause that's another one. <laughs> yeah. That was a, not me. I got mixed up with, you know, making money and, and then you got a family and, and then you got kids yeah, and, then and then, you're screwed. Yep. And then you don't have the time to study and it takes a lot of time. And yeah, so I right. agree. I agree with all of that. So in the FE is the fundamentals of engineering. That's the new engineer and training program. Yep. I believe. That's, yeah. That's the EIT. Yeah. Yep. So it's another, it's a tough one to just requires a lot of time in the books. It's very theory. It's yeah. very theory based. It's based, you know, it's, it's basically a, uh, comprehensive review of your last two years well actually all of college four years year, yeah four say. year undergrad yeah and so just a quick funny story on that i i took my fe i don't know is it four or five years after i graduated and i go to sit down and i open the the study guide and the practice book and the very first question i'm thinking oh i'm a hot shot engineer i don't need to study <laughs> for this thing i'm gonna it's ace humbling. this the very first question is like the equation of a line or a circle and i'm like Oh God. And like the Y equals MX plus B. The funny it's funny the things that you don't use yeah. it. Uh yep. very humbling. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. First question too. Yeah. First question. Yeah. Great. Yep. That was the hardest test I've ever taken in my life, you know, with the upcoming PE, you know, and whatever the three more years I have to wait. But after I left that exam, I was mentally exhausted for it had to be two days three days maybe and that's the fe exam clayton yeah yeah that eit wow. exam yeah i don't know what it says i can't even remember that one but i vividly remember the the follow-up the final exam hey you know we could probably do a whole podcast about that and the preparation and the thought and the needs and the whatever i learned something okay. from that too <laughs> i'll ask the, I'll, I'll facilitate that one and ask you guys Ooh, a little game show. I yeah. Like that. yeah. <laughs> we'll have a little Jeopardy game. We could do a little bit of en uh, energy engineering Jeopardy. That'd be fun. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Listeners call in, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some so, good stuff uh, on the horizon. It's it's interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I had hired an energy engineer at one time, and I don't uh, – Nick, I don't know if you remember it or not, but we hired this guy, and uh, he was all – very gung-ho, really gung-ho, you know, confident in his abilities. He'd probably been out of school for five years and uh, sent him over to Ohio to look at a boiler plant over there. And he came back with all the data and, you know, very fired up. And uh, I said, okay, well, tell me what we'll do and, you know, put your numbers together and, you know, end of the day tomorrow, we'll talk about it. So he ran through all his calculations and here's the reason so it comes back. Uh, we're going to do some insulation. We're going to put stack economizers on. We're going to put the uh, O2 trim on. So outstanding. It was four Ohio specials. And I said, and, uh, so what's the end, end result? He said, they'll save 370 some thousand dollars a year. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, well, their whole natural <laughs> gas bill is like $320,000 a year. Oh, that's how good I am. You have, oh. to go, you have to go back and look at the what's reality, what's the runtime. You know, just because you were there on a day when the boilers were firing flat out, did you do any weather analysis? Did you look at the bills, you know, in totality before we we sat down to do this? No. I said, well, okay, do it over. Well, and that's a great story because, I mean, it not only points out that, you know, as a story all these years later, but you know, that person walked away after that understanding a whole different level of things and probably never didn't make the mistake. Again. That mistake yeah. Yep. That mistake well, again. And that's just how it has to happen. And it's just, right. it's a constant and we've all been there too. You know, you Absolutely. get course corrected. And if you're not learning and maybe even changing your mind on some things once in a while, you're probably not growing either as a professional or dare I say, as a human being. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you're a little strong. You know, you're gonna be. You learn from your mistakes. You just gotta make sure they're not fatal. Yes. Right? Yep. Back yeah. to safety, Jim. I like it. <laughs> fatal in many, in literally many and figuratively. Yeah. But yes. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Not fatal to your career or your physical being. <laughs> so for for our listeners, I think this is episode 
uh, 12 or 13, and we're getting towards the end of our first season of the Energy Podcast. Um, so, you know, just kind of thinking ahead, again, for anybody listening, we're, we're most likely going to turn all of our podcast series, uh, Energy, BMS, and Commissioning, into a single podcast so we can kind of bring it all together just in one place um, for everybody to listen to. So keep an eye out for that. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, and stay tuned for our next discussion. We're going to bring some guests on to talk about uh, VRF systems, which is variable refrigerant flow systems. Um, so that should be a great episode. We're going to have some guests on for that. Um, tune in. And for more information on us, don't forget to check out our websites, www.vsenergy.us www.appliedfacilityscience.com and www.dpasquale-eng.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day.